Hey, welcome today. I'm so glad you're here. Uh, My name is Spencer and I'll be your host today as well as the lead pastor of the church. And it is so good that we can join together in worship today. Uh, If you're new with us, we want to invite you to check in. We have a virtual gift card that we'd love to send you because we're so honored that you would want to worship with us today. Later in the worship experience, we're gonna continue to explore the Sermon on the Mount, this incredibly important teaching that Jesus gives us. And we're starting to turn to a really practical uh, section as we're gonna talk today about anger. Pastor Jason is gonna lead us through this section and I promise you, God has a word for you today. If you wanna go deeper with today's message, we encourage you to go to schweitzer.church slash next, where we have discussion questions and other resources that can help you go deeper with the message. You can also find ways of getting involved. And so Jen is going to share with us some of those ways that we can get involved in the church this week. Hi, welcome to Schweitzer. I'm Jen Brown. So glad you're here today. It's Father's Day, so happy Father's Day. If you're here in person, we have actually some churro coupons for you today. So you can head outside to the food truck and grab your free churro. Make sure you enjoy that. And again, we're so glad you're here today. I want to just tell you about a few things that are coming up. One is our men's breakfast. It's coming up on July 9th. That's the second week in July. It'll be at 8 a.m. here at Memorial Hall. Uh, We have a whole spread of breakfast items, uh, specifically for guys of all ages, really. If you want to come with your son, your dad, your grandpa, uh, all the guys are welcome to come enjoy this great breakfast together. Great time to get to know one another, um, basically from 8 to 9 on Saturday, July 9th. We hope to see you there. You'll sign up at schweitzer.church slash men. That would be great. And this past week, we had a blast with our first family experience. We had families of all ages, and they had just a great time hanging out together, doing worship, activities, games. And the great thing is, we're going to be doing this again on Wednesday, July 13th, and we hope you'll come out and join us as families. This is great for kids who are pre-K all the way through sixth grade, maybe even some teens. I promise you'll have a great time. We'll continue with our theme of hometown heroes. This time we'll have police officers on site and they'll even have their cold patrol. So we'll have some ice cream around. So save the date, July 13th, bring your family and go ahead and sign up at Schweitzer.church slash kids. And again, we have these great Schweitzer mugs. These are perfect for traveling around this summer. We hope you'll pick one up. You can even bring it back on Sunday, fill up your coffee with it, and it helps us save on some paper waste. So you can pick one of these up at the Blue Booth for only $20. And hey, who knows? They might even be the perfect Father's Day gift if you're looking for something. Thanks again for joining us today. Let's continue with worship. Thanks, Jen, for sharing those announcements. If you're worshiping with us live, we encourage you to use the chat feature. You could check in, talk to your friends, say hi to others who are worshiping with you as well. And if you need prayer, we have that option available for us too. Now let's continue in worship.
As we come to this time of prayer on Father's Day weekend, let's pray for our dads. And so Father in heaven, we do give you thanks for the fathers of our life. We give you thanks for the example of godliness. We give you thanks for the example that leads us to knowing that you are a good father. We also know that there are those with us today who don't have that example. And their relationship with their own dad is strained, where there's grief, there's all kinds of other pain. And so God, today we wanna to also pray for healing for anyone there with a wound that's left from the relationship with their own father. And we pray for dads that there might be wisdom in the home, that there would be godliness and patience in raising children, that there would be an emphasis on understanding and walking with the Lord as, as, as the home follows uh, the leadership of, of our father in heaven. And we know ultimately, Lord, that, that every dad, mom, parent is in really a reflection of you that you love us unconditionally, that you give yourself to us fully every day. You sacrifice so much for us that you gave your one and only son that we can have life. And so no matter who we are or where we come from, we know that there's hope found in you, our Father who is good. And so Lord, today we give you thanks for dads and we give you thanks and look to you as our heavenly Father who loves us unconditionally. In the name of Jesus, we pray. So Lord, we do thank you for our dads. We pray for them, that there will be wisdom, guidance, strength, and patience. We thank you that you are our Heavenly Father. And in that knowledge, we join our voices together to pray the prayer that Jesus taught us. As we say, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Now, as we come to this time of offering, we give as a response to the goodness of our Heavenly Father. We know how He has been with us and how He's faithful with us. And so we give in response to Him, in obedience to Him. Giving is an act of worship as we honor God with what He has given to us in our lives and entrusted to us. And so today, we wanna thank you for your faithful generosity to our church. 
Your generosity makes ministry possible at Schweitzer as we share the good news of Jesus Christ with our broken world. Thank you for your generosity. Today, you can give through our app or by going to schweitzer.church in order to give to the work that God is doing through our church. And now let's get our Bibles out and be ready to dive into God's word. Week four of the sermon series on the Sermon on the Mount. The Lord has a word for you. Let's be ready to hear. Blessed are the meek, the poor in spirit, the peacemakers, the persecuted. Seek God's kingdom, care for widows, love your enemies, turn the other cheek, give, pray, fast. Ask and it shall be given. Seek and you shall find. Knock and the door shall be opened. Hello, I'm Jason. Welcome to worship. We're so glad you're here. Today, we continue in our sermon series on the Sermon on the Mount. This is week number four of of a long series that we're going to be looking at over the summer of Jesus's teaching that comes to us in Matthew 5, 6, and 7. We're so glad you're a part of of this worship experience and taking a look at this important sermon that Jesus has to share with us. Uh, The last three weeks, we've looked at... We've looked and listened to Jesus as he's spoken to us about three different things. First, we saw that Jesus gave an invitation to everybody who was gathered around him on that mountain. And he really spoke about the kingdom of God. And when he was speaking about the kingdom of God, he gave an invitation to everybody. He said, everybody can be a part of God's work and God's activity in this world. And so everybody's invited, especially those who often find themselves to be on the margins or to those who are left out. Jesus especially highlighted the invitation to the kingdom belongs to everyone and everyone can be blessed. The second week, we looked at how Jesus took this sense of blessing and then he said, if you've been blessed, you then have the capacity to carry this blessing into the world as salt and light. And so as we're transformed by Christ, we become carriers of that work into the places where we live and work. And this is part of Jesus's big vision for the world, that we would be salt and light. And then last week, Pastor Spencer talked to us about how Christ is the fulfillment of the law. As Jesus was talking about this invitation that goes out to all people, not just to some, but to all people, and how we can be carriers, uh, we can be like salt and light in our world, there were a number of those who were asking questions like, is this a new law? Is this a new take on what God is up to? And Jesus then stepped back and he said, I haven't come to rewrite the law or to set it aside, but no, I'm the fulfillment of the law. And so Jesus has this invitation to us that there's a work of the kingdom of God that's breaking in, that's a part of where we're at. And he's calling us, everyone who will listen, he's calling us to step into this place, this invitation and step into this teaching. And so today we're going to turn the corner as Jesus turns the corner. We're going to look as Jesus continues to dive in to describe what the kingdom is like and what the kingdom values and how we approach those that we live among and and how we approach the Lord. But before we get there, I want to come back to one sense of of the law, because one of the things that Jesus talked about was he's last week we heard Jesus talk about how he's the fulfillment of the law. And, and we're going to enter into a season where Jesus speaks to a number of things, especially right off the bat. He's going to touch on a number of things that we might find at the second half 
of the Ten Commandments. That is our relationships with one another on a, on a horizontal, horizontal plane. The relationships that we have with our neighbors, with our brothers, our sisters, our parents. What are those relationships like? And he, he begins by, by noting back or alluding back to those Old Testament laws, especially to the Ten Commandments. And I've been thinking about that, especially as this, as this sermon is going to extrapolate. For a long time, I kind of viewed the law as, as, a, as a complete whole. That is to say that the law and the prophets was a, a statement that kind of carried everything all in one bucket, if you will. Or of the Ten Commandments, there, there are those Ten Commandments, and then there are 613, um, Pastor Spencer mentioned this last week, that he, it's in Wikipedia, but it's not, it's in more places than Wikipedia, 613 laws that go around the Ten Commandments, that those were all congruent, went together. But more recently, there's been a dawning uh, upon me, and as I've continued to read and grow and, and other things, there's a dawning on me that there's at least two or three categories that, these, that the Ten Commandments and the rest of the laws break into. One of those categories is the reality that, that the law that's given to Moses and carried out to the people and that the people then will develop those 613 laws around, there's a sense that this describes how we should interact. Um, God lays out a plan for how we should interact with those that we interact with on a daily basis. And so what develops out of that is a sense of civil law. So like the last six commandments in the, in the Ten Commandments, where it talks about do not murder, do not steal, you know, honor your father and mother, do not covet, etc. These speak to the interactions that shape our daily life. And then the first four commandments, where it talks about how we're supposed to honor, honor God, not have any idols and, and the like, and we're supposed to keep the Sabbath, that's part of the religious law. That's how we relate to God, if you will, a, a vertical alignment of our lives. And, and there are portions of the law, those 613 commandments or laws that go around the Ten Commandments, those, there are portions of that that speak uniquely to our, our religious sensibilities. Like there are times where the law will describe what animals are clean or unclean, what can be used in worship, what can't be used in worship. There, there will be times when the law will speak to like who's appropriate to lead as a, as a priest or non-priest. In all these categories, there is a sense of outwardness. Like there's a sense where you can tell if you're abiding by the law by what you keep or don't keep. And one of the things that uh, Jesus is going to be pointing to, and he's really lifting up something that the prophets themselves pointed out, is that while each of these realities, both the civil law and the religious law, each of these have some things that are noticeable on the exterior of our lives, there is a category that the prophets begin to point to that goes beyond the exterior, and that's to the interior. And we see this throughout the prophets. And what Jesus brings into full view is that there is a law of the spirit, or it's a law of the heart. And one of the <clears throat> places you might find this is in the, in the prophet Joel. He points out at one point where the Lord says, turn to me now while there's time. Give me your hearts. Come with fasting, weeping, and mourning. And he says, don't tear your clothing in grief, but tear your hearts instead. One of the things that Jesus is really passionate about is when he shares what the law is like, uh, when he describes what the kingdom of heaven is like, it's not just a kingdom that's happening on the outside of our lives or what other people can see or what you can post on, on pictures and social media and folks can see there. But what he's talking about is the condition of our hearts. 
So G- Dietrich Bonhoeffer, when he was writing about this in, in one of his seminal works, The Cost of Discipleship, said this, Jesus is bringing an emphasis on the purity of heart rather than on the external matters. And he's reiterating the original intent of the law. So if the law on the one hand speaks to our religious interactions, our religious practices, and it speaks to our, also our civil interactions, Jesus is wanting to speak to the centrality and the original intent of the law. It's like, what's the condition of our hearts? And he's declaring, Bonhoeffer goes on to say that he's declaring war on false interpretations of, of what the law is. Now, recently, somebody I was talking to about this sermon series said, you know, when I first heard that, that Schweitzer was going to go on a sermon series through the Sermon on the Mount, he said, I was almost triggered because I f- felt in my own being like oftentimes the Sermon on the Mount is, is a prescription for how we should live, and it's all about the morality. But Jesus reminds us throughout this text that he's interested in our hearts. And, and when Jesus takes up the false interpretations, he's addressing the nature, the very nature of our hearts. And in fact, what Jesus is wanting to do for us is to bring to us what the prophet Ezekiel describes. Is he wants to bring a healing water that will come from the very heart of God and will touch our lives so that our hearts and everything about us is transformed by the power of the gospel. And so today we're going to pick up a text from Matthew 5, 21 to 26, where Jesus talks about murder. And we're going to see how Jesus both speaks and describes what the law says from the Old Testament, but then where he takes it further. And so we read. The first verse is 521. Jesus says, You've heard that your ancestors were told you must not murder. And if you commit murder, you are subject to judgment. Jesus right here is reiterating the sixth commandment that Moses hears from the Lord and he writes down on the tablet. You shall not murder. Well, uh, as many people have said, uh, and Dietrich Bonhoeffer says, again, in The Cost of Discipleship, there is no place for murder among the people of God. And for many of us, that is not a problem. The problem becomes the reality that Jesus doesn't stop at saying, thou shalt not murder. Because Jesus is moving from the externals into the places of our hearts. And so Jesus continues, but I say to you, you know, that's not enough. I say to you, even if you are angry with someone, you are subject to judgment if you call someone an idiot. Uh, in other texts, many other translations, they'll have the Aramaic word raka right there. Uh, raka. Or you are in danger of being brought before the court. And if you curse someone or say to someone, you're a fool, you are in danger of the fires of hell. So if you are presenting a sacrifice at the altar in the temple and you suddenly remember that someone had something against you, leave your sacrifice there at the altar. Go and be reconciled to the person. Then come and offer your sacrifices to God. When you are on the way to court with your adversary, settle your differences quickly. Otherwise, your accuser may hand you over to the judge who will hand you over to an officer and you will be thrown into prison. And if that happens... You surely won't be free again until you have paid the last penalty, uh, the last pe- penny. Jesus, in this text, moves the discussion from the exterior to the conditions of the heart. And he speaks to us about under, what's underneath the acts of, of, 
of violence or what may be behind the act of murder. And he, he talks about things like anger and he talks about things like like saying the word raka or the, Ameri- uh, the Aramaic understanding raka, which, which means empty headed. That is to say, you know, someone's not using their brain. And then he goes on further to say that you actually may call someone a fool. Many people who've looked at this text are understanding that Jesus is speaking about anger and an anger that, that has progressive uh, anger to it, so much so that it draws up the concept of contempt. That when we look at someone or we consider someone, you can almost get to the place where you, you don't see them whatsoever. Contempt would have that capacity to say, you know, someone's in my life, but I don't even know that they matter or that they care. And Jesus says this doesn't have to result in actually in a real or an outward murder, the, the death of someone. But to you, to me, someone may be just as good as dead. So if they speak or don't speak, we don't really care. They're just as good as dead. And Jesus says, this is the same as if we were to have committed a murder in, in the real or outward exterior. And Jesus is saying, this presents a problem to us. Because at the base of our heart, then, there is a barrier that is constructed between us and those who are around us. And, and he, he doesn't just use anyone in particular. He uses a very close person, like a brother or a sister, to speak of that reality. So it's almost taking us back to Cain or Abel. A brother or sister could be so close, yet we were so filled with contempt that we just shut them out as if they were dead. And Jesus is saying, this is not the way we were intended to live And so contempt, he draws us from anger, which is this, not just a a reactive kind of anger, but a deep, seething place that takes us to a place of contempt. To say, this is ruinous, both to our relationships with others, but also to our relationship with God. In fact, it puts us in the very danger of of hellfires. And so, why is this so dangerous? What's the real problem behind this? Well, the real danger that Jesus draws us into and the fullness thereof is that it draws us away from the very nature of Christ himself and what Jesus is doing. It draws us away from realizing and um, embracing the fullness of what Jesus will be described as the incarnation of of Christ. In Philippians chapter 2, verses 6 through 11, there's a hymn about Jesus. And this hymn talks about the descent of Christ. And this is something that, we, that churches will oftentimes look to to describe how God moves into our, our neighborhood. And it goes something like this. Though he was God, he didn't think of equality with God as something to cling to. Instead, he gave up his divine privileges. He took humble position. He took the humble position of a slave and was born as a human being. And when he appeared in human flesh, in human form, he humbled himself in obedience to God and died a criminal's death on the cross. Therefore, God elevated him to the place of the highest honor, and he gave him the name above all other names, that the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven, on earth, and under the earth, and every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. So this hymn, in many ways, describes the very nature of Christ, like he was God, and then he became human, and then he's back in the glorious place and expanse of God, right? And so it's oftentimes pointed to as to both the divinity and the human side of Christ. 
Those who've looked at this text for a long time, though, have noticed that there's something else going on here. Because in Christ, what we find is that Jesus picks up our human image. And the ancient theologians, as they looked at this, and they began to think about the fullness of what it means that Christ himself was incarnate. They said that God took on flesh, so he honored the human flesh. But that God, when Christ was, was a, a, a senate back to the place of the Father, he took human flesh back into the very presence of the Father. He took human flesh back into the heavenlies. He took human flesh back into the eternal. Jesus didn't just identify with us, but he took us very back into the very presence of the Father himself. And so when the Father looks at the Son, when the Father, God the Father looks at the Son, he sees us. And when we look at others, we're not meant to just behold someone who's there. We're not meant to just behold the person that's there in front of us, but we're meant to behold the reality that just as Christ has taken us on, he shares himself with us. And there is a bit of Christ that is, that is at work and at play in every human who's in front of us. And so when we get angry, when we get angry to the point of being contemptuous of somebody else, when we think that murder, whether it's a very physical murder where someone dies, or we think of a murder as if leaving someone else out of life, to think of murders, in fact, of someone else is to be involved in the murder of Christ himself. To hate and to hold in contempt is to do so not just about for someone else whose name may be John or Mary, but it's to hold it against Christ himself. So what should we do? <clears throat> well, in high school, when I was reading this text, uh, I, I had a brother. I still have a brother. Uh, I, I've had a couple of brothers, and my brother that's just 17 months younger than me, I was reading this text in high school, and I was an older brother, and I have to confess, I wasn't the best older brother. And there were times when I would be around my brother, and I would say things like, you're a fool, or you're, you're just really messed up, or I didn't necessarily hold him in the highest regard. I found myself holding him in contempt. And then I read the Sermon on the Mount, and I took it very literally, like, I have to stop calling my brother a fool. I have to stop holding him in contempt. I have to stop thinking that he's not using the full faculties that are there within his, his mind. And maybe, maybe as you read this, you're like, wow, let me think about the words I've used about other people around me. But Jesus, and, and if you're there, that's, that may be exactly what you need to do. That's fantastic. But Jesus also, he continues on after he gives us think about how we shouldn't hold others in contempt. We shouldn't hold others to the point of where we just hate them and cut them off. Jesus gives a couple of parables to describe what this is like because it's so important because Jesus is going to go beyond just like not being angry and not being contemptuous, not having the idea of murder, but he's really going to drive us towards reconciliation so much so that he, he points to two parables, two pictures. He says on the one hand, imagine that you're somebody who's traveled all the way from the Galilee region to Jerusalem, three days worth of travel in Jesus' time, and you're about to present an offering uh, in the temple, and you realize that you have not been seeing somebody else as God sees them. You have not been valuing somebody else as God views them. You should leave your gift, and you should return to the Galilee, three days' journey, and you should make things right. And then you should come back, and then you can continue, because um, if, you're, if you're wishing that somebody else wasn't in your life, if you're wishing that somebody else was, was dead, if you're wishing that 
you didn't have to deal with a brother or sister, you should go and you should be reconciled to them because apart from that, it's hard to be reconciled to God. Jesus takes reconciliation to a whole nother level. He views it as so um, incredible and so important to the nature of who we are as people who follow after him because he wants us to be people who love and who value life so profoundly and so deeply. So that's one of the parables he gives. And another parable he gives, he says, if somebody's hauling you off to court, and in this instance, it's like the person who's taking you off to court, they are the person in the right. And there's something about your relationship that is that has um, been broken. And this person is taking you to court and maybe you have no rights. In fact, it could be in uh, a slave and, a, and, and somebody who's, who's the owner of the slave. Or it could be a Roman citizen taking a non-Roman citizen to court. And whoever the plaintiff is, it is sure that they are going to win. If, if you're the defendant, he says, do all that is in your power to make things right before you ever get there. Do all that's in your power to be reconciled to one another. So Jesus picks up, he says, don't murder. He takes up this thought on anger. He's not just driving at murder or at anger. He's really driving us towards the focal point of the Father as to be reconciled to one another. To actually come to a place where we don't just see that other people are made in the image of God, like they have characteristics of God, where they have value because God originally launched the planet and people came into existence. No, Jesus instead wants us to see that something about his very nature, his very self is shared with every human being. And so everyone around us carries to a degree, everyone carries to a degree, the life and the presence of Jesus himself. And so we should be people who seek reconciliation when we find ourselves in broken places. We should be people who listen to the voices of others because we don't always have the truth within us. But together, when we listen to one another, we can realize that we oftentimes reflect to a degree the goodness and the glory of Christ. And to many degrees, we miss the mark. We should be people who are willing to take up confession and repentance when we harm someone else or when we, we, we have our own self-interest at play. And we should be people who are willing to seek as is best possible with us in profound, in profound measure to make amends so that reconciliation can be a part of our, of our lives and of our experience. When we look at what Jesus says about murder and we hear what he says in the very first verse, you know, you've heard your ancestors say you must not murder. Most of us can check the box. We have not. But then we, we listen to the fullness of Jesus where he says, but what about this anger that resides within you? What about this contempt that is there? When we check our own hearts and we check the world in which we live in, the world where there's political discussions, the world of work, the world of our families, the world of church life, the world where we play, it is not very difficult for most of us to think about places, even this past week, where we have said things or thought things or wanted to say things, but have withheld where there is a sense of contempt that hasn't risen up. The challenge that Christ has for you and me, brothers and sisters, is to see Christ in every person and to see every person as a part of Christ and to begin to value one another 
It's not just people made in the image of God, but people who bear a likeness to Christ himself and to value life. So much so that wherever there's a breakage, we'll seek to walk in the ways of reconciliation in the kingdom of God. I invite you to pray with me today. Kind Father, when we open our hearts to Jesus and his teaching, we discover that we have failed to love as we have been loved. We have oftentimes counted ourselves better than those who are around us. Yet you don't condemn us. You call us to love as we've been loved and to repent. We ask that you would pour into our hearts of stone the fire-breathing love of the Holy Spirit, that we might behold you and love you in our sisters and brothers and take up the work of reconciliation. And if we lack faith, stir up faith within us that we might be your life-bearing children. In Christ, and we pray, amen. Hey, thanks for joining with us in worship today. It's always good to be able to gather together and proclaim God's goodness and worship. Thank you, Jen, for leading us with our, our announcements, our worship team for sharing uh, their gifts with us. Thank you, Jason, for uh, sharing a good word with us from Matthew chapter five. And if this has been helpful for you, I encourage you to share this out, the good word of what God has for us. Share this with others. I'm on social media. That's a great way to share the good news with other people. And we'll see you next week as we are gonna continue our series on the Sermon on the Mount, week five. I'll be sharing that message with us next week. I hope you'll join us. And it has been a great time to be together. Have a great week. Happy Father's Day. me